If you're educating your children about sexuality, whether it's about sexual abuse or about healthy attitudes towards sexuality, don't rely on innuendo because there's a lot to get lost in the, in, in, in the, the shuffle. shuffle. They're, they're not going to know what you mean, right? right. The kid's not going to know what you're talking about. You might think that they know what you mean, but <laughs> they don't really know what you mean. So, so when, you're, when you're providing education in an appropriate environment uh, with, with you know, due reverence and respect, I think being explicit is important. Welcome back to an episode of That's an Issue. I want to give you a warning that this is a very mature conversation. So if you're a child, please ask your parent, a legal guardian, if you should continue this conversation. We talk about very mature in- intimacy-related uh, topics. So uh, please go ahead and ask before you continue. This week, the Kleshiks want to find the secret to a good marriage, the secret to balance. And we know that it's very interwoven and connected and intimacy is a very key factor towards having a healthy marriage. And uh, we they discuss a lot of things and I'll stop talking so you can hear this episode. This episode is proudly powered by our friends at Relief, your one-stop shop for a phone call to help you get connected with any psychological or any anything, any troubles or challenges that you're going through that you're like, I need a good therapist. That's what Relief is there to help you with. You will hear more about them in the middle of this week's episode. Here is the conversation. Mental health, relationships, those are loaded topics and something that affects every part of our lives but we aren't having enough open conversations about it. And that's an issue. Okay, welcome back to the show. Uh, we are privileged to have Dr. Simcha Feuerman here with us today. Um, and we'd like to jump into some unique topics that you deal with. So can you um, describe for the audience what you do in your practice? I'm a psychotherapist. I have been working for about 28 years in the field of mental health. My practice is, I would say, about 60% families and couples, largely high-conflict families and couples. People come to me who already are in situations where maybe they've been to other therapists and have tried other uh, interventions and they're in great distress. I find that work to be very important. And then about 40% is individual counseling as well. Got it. Okay. Um, so yeah. so I saw that you had a series on YouTube that was called, correct me, but something along the lines of the chassin slash kala schmooze you wish you had but didn't get, something yes. like that. Um, and I was really fascinated by that. And if you're okay to tell us a little bit more about that and get into that topic. Sure. So this is something that I've been involved in with many years. Actually, in, in I think in 2008, I did a recorded series for the website Guard Your Eyes, and it was of the same title. It was just, it was just audio, which was a chassan schmooze you wish you had but never got. And I think the title says it all, and my sense was that there was a lot of fear and mis- misconception and confusion and guilt that was interfering in, in healthy marriages. And I thought a place like Guard Your Eyes, where already the concern is people have already some kind of 
compulsive sexual behavior, uh, pornography, masturbation, whatever it is that they're that they're challenged with, that that would be a venue where the normal, uh, 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 let's say, conservatism, which I think is very important. I think modesty is very important, but the normal conservatism that would make one hesitant to to publish such material or listen to this material would be somewhat overcome. And so I proposed to them that I would do this, and they were very interested, and it was quite successful. And it's still available. The original audio is available at the Guard Your Eyes uh, website. Guard, Guard Your Eyes is the program that you put on computers as a filter? No, no, no. they do else? offer advice about, about filters, but they're not like TAG. You're thinking okay. of TAG. I don't know. I'm not sure what I'm thinking of, but yeah, so something to do is, with the internet filters. helps people uh, you know, have different types of filter devices on their, on their phones and technology. Guard Your Eyes is... is is a self-help community of individuals, uh, I would imagine, mostly religious Jews in that in their particular market space. Although, as you know, with the internet, you never know who's actually on it. But it's a self-help community of, of people who want to work on literally guarding their right. eyes and trying to follow the religious mandates of Shemira Sainayim. And so they you know, deal with pornography and internet addiction, and they have different types of support groups and all kinds of forums and such. Got it. So what would the, you know, you said the schmooze you wish you got, like, so mm-hmm. how, how did, how does watching uh, some of the, you know, things you said before, how does that, how does that affect your marriage? Or you I'm mean, assuming you that's... You talking about people who are, have, are struggling with pornography or masturbation, how yeah. that affects their marriage. <laughs> like a lot of things, it affects people in different ways. Everybody's different. But wait, wait, uh, wait, before that, how did that, how did that get to... Like the chas and shmuz. Like so, why? Well, you know, as I said again, I think that that there's not enough education, not enough guidance when it comes to something that's that's so critical, right? And 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 why do you this, think that is? Well, Sorry to challenge. interrupt. Sure, sure. It's it it's a challenge between between conflicting agendas and conflicting needs, and and that's a, a in general what you're doing with psychology or spirituality. Uh, most of the time, you're dealing in, in in dynamics and tensions between different between different needs. The the sweet spot is in that tension. There is no one answer. So in Judaism, you have very strong dictates on modesty and on even uh, appropriate abstinence and abnegation and not indulging too much. And yet you also have you know, emphasis on family life and on even the mitzvah of giving sexual pleasure. And and there are gemaras that are quite explicit about what you're supposed to do and how you're supposed to do it. And then there's gemaras that are quite explicit about how shameful and improper it is to speak about these things publicly. So you have you have mm. this tension that's automatic and, and, and is present. And because of that, it's very hard to find that balance. The secret, the <laughs> real secret, is that it's deliberate, that things that are not precise and that require flexibility in different circumstances are necessarily, are necessarily set up to exist in a tension zone because there isn't one rigid answer. There are these two realities. There is modesty and there is also a need uh, for enjoyment and there's also a need for education and there's also a need for modesty. So all that kind of has gotten very disrupted and it's difficult for people to feel comfortable or even know what should be said and what should be taught and what should be done because there really isn't clear direction. 
So we don't really have an answer to the question. We're just trying to do our best. Well, what if there's a different answer for each person, each For different people. And so oh. the information was created. Like Shulchan Aruch is extremely confusing when it comes to the laws of sexual modesty. There's contradictions all over. And it's very difficult. And, and even the Gemara is very confusing, too. One of the keystone Gemaras is on is Nadarm Davchaf, which is riddled with contradictory statements and practices, ranging from, you know, God forbid you were to do anything other than the, forgive me for using the word missionary position, because it's not our term, right? We're not missionaries. But, you know, all kinds of dire birth defect results, to you can, you know, Having sex is like eating. Some people like it with salt. Some people like it with pepper. Some people like it fried. Some people like it upside down. Like, how can you have more, more contradiction than that? So there's a, but it's by design, because you can't capture the ethics of it unless you take, unless you take both of those tensions in mind and you value them both, and then you find the spot that's right. Got it. Why do people though feel uncomfortable like talking about you know using certain words, such as you know. <laughs> sex or as opposed to using intimacy do you think it's a problem or or we should you know it you know is it is it better or worse or benign to just stick with you know more ambiguous terms so i'll tell you what i think but i don't know if what i think is the only answer to it <laughs> like clothing modesty is important we, we, we all understand that theoretically we can walk around naked, but we don't. And there's something very important and meaningful about that act of civilization, about taking our rawest instincts and trying in some way to, to moderate them and contain them so you can carry normal uh, conversation and interaction with other people. That's what we do. That's what civilization is. It's always on some level a renunciation of certain instincts in service of being able to, to work with other people. So on a psychological sense, I think modesty and conservatism in terms of terms is valuable. But you see, the Gemara itself is very interesting because the Gemara talks about how the Torah goes out of its way and says extra words, which is, of course, you know, if you, if you have due reverence for the scripture as a theological, ideological point, we believe that every single letter you know, has meaning, and there's no extras. So why does it go to say an animal that is impure instead of just saying an, an impure animal? Because in, in, in English, we don't have a word, by the way, for impure, right? Impure is not pure. In Hebrew and in many other cultures, which tells you something mm -hmm. about each culture, there's a word itself for the impure. We have tame, right? You don't have to say not, not tamer. In English, you only have the word impure. I mean, you could say corrupted, but it's not specific to, to something ritualary or, yeah. or holy. But in a lot of other cultures, you do have words. Anyway, getting back to the story, yet many times the Torah is very clear and says things explicitly. And the answer is because if it, if it interferes with expression and clarity, then you have to go to the point. So there's many Gemaras that are really explicit sexually, anatomically, down to the last detail. Uh, but that's when there was no other way and there'd be a sacrifice of clarity. So that means if you're educating your children about sexuality, whether it's about sexual abuse or about healthy attitudes towards sexuality, don't rely on innuendo because there's a lot to get lost in the, in, in, in the, the shuffle. shuffle. They're, they're not going to know what you mean, right? right. The kid's not going to know what you're talking about. You might think that they know what you mean, but <laughs> they don't really know what you mean. So, so when, you're, when you're providing education in an appropriate environment, uh, with 
with you know, due reverence and respect, I think being explicit is important. Now, the game changer in our society is that any kind of modesty is also about a certain standard. So clearly, people are being so exposed to everything. I mean, there's more sexual innuendo on a on a on a on a you know bus ad, you know, than 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 someone might have seen 40 years ago, in their whole lifetime. So how we factor that in and still have meaningful discussions is very important. But that brought me back to why I went to, to guard your eyes. And after that, then during Corona, when during those first few months, there just wasn't uh, a lot of things to do outside. And so I took on certain projects, and this was one of them. I recorded like about 33 videos, and I also started at a certain point something called Psychology of the Daf, which I've been doing for about two and a half years now, which is every day there's a, uh, on a blog post, there's some psychological idea from the Daf Yomi portion. That's so cool. So people can look that up. It's on the general Nefesh blog, but then there's blogs on Nefesh. And every day you could see something about the Daf Yomi that has to do with psychology. Got it. Okay, so that's fun. That's a lot of fun. Okay, so going back to the like lack of education or maybe miseducation when it comes to this topic. So you're saying that's because we we're just not sure how to correctly balance like sneas versus yes, educating. Yes. So because we don't have a correct balance, that's why like I mean, I don't know if You've heard this, but I've heard many people who would say, right, oh, my Kyle classes weren't, they didn't prepare me, or my Hassan classes didn't prepare me, or like those kinds of comments. Yeah. So what what could we do about that then? What, what do you think, <laughs> I, besides, now I want to add to that, besides of what can we do about changing, what do you think is missing from the Hassan right. slash Kyle classes and, and, you know, how to effectively add those pieces in? I think more explicit guidance much more clear uh, counseling and guidance. I think, again, guilt and fear and shame uh, hold people back from having uh, more explicit discussions. And in the Hassan Kahl classes, they need to happen. And also, I think a little more discussion of, of, of sexual function and dysfunction, because there are many challenges that people naturally experience. You know, there are many experiences that are natural and there are still fraught with all kinds of dangers as you go through that process. Think you, about could childbirth. You, could you give an example? Well, think about yeah. childbirth. My patterns in nature, something very important to understand. Again, this is a mystical concept, and it's a psychological concept, and it's a truism. That patterns in nature repeat themselves all the time, and that's either because patterns come from some overall universal force that's guiding it, or, you know, histako baraiso baro you know, that Hashem, this is a Zoridic term, Hashem looked at the Torah and made the world, but what's it saying? It's saying that there are, there are universals, or this, you know, uh, Platonic philosophy is also, there are universals that exist, and that then, in different ways, they reverberate. But the point is, patterns are patterns. So childbirth, Childbirth is a very complex, dangerous process, yet it's the most natural thing in the world, and it will happen. Teething, Right? And, and, and every child today has their birthright to have straight teeth, so they get orthodonture. So you have a pathology, which is teeth growing and crooked, which on the one hand is very normal, and on the other hand needs human intervention to correct. And both make a lot of sense. And so it's, it's, it's not unusual to have a lot of difficulty when it comes to sexuality. It's, it's, it's a complex process between two people, and that it takes time. And so there's many 
things that quite naturally could be problematic. And just like a crooked tooth, if you catch it early, right, it's easier to you, fix. You fix it, and you don't develop all kinds of secondary problems and compensatory behaviors. But if you don't catch it early, you end up with more problems. Right. Hmm. What are some of the more common problems you think are not being addressed in the chasing or college, you know, classes or, or, or just in general education that can be, that should be given over at any age? Well, there's a couple of categories, I would say. Like there's certain classic sexual dysfunctions that most chasing and college teachers now are more educated about. But again, it's how it's given over. Is it given over quickly? Is it, is it, is, is it really discussed? Is there a space made for discussing if you run into problems? But generally speaking, there, there can be issues with impotence or premature ejaculation. There are reasons why intercourse is painful for women, vaginismus, sometimes other rare issues after childbirth like nerve damage. But these things have to be understood for what they are and dealt with like in a non-anxiety provoking, non-stigmatizing fashion and opening up the dialogue that these things kind of happen. I really do think it's a good comparison to something like teething. It's a difficult process, but everybody goes through it. And how you negotiate that process itself indicates the future. Do you think a, one like a chassan or a college teacher should be, uh, you know, you know, you know, have that long uh, connection with that person so that they have to time to develop. I mean, getting a massive course, you know, prior to marriage can be quickly forgotten by someone who's not taking diligent notes and memorizing it all. Well, what you say is a very good point. I, I don't want to tell anybody else what their job is uh, because all these, these, this all takes work and commitment and devotion by people, oftentimes Clay Kodish, who themselves um, are making tremendous sacrifices. But theoretically, yes, it's not something like you can give in a couple of weeks and then you're done. Uh, I think, I don't think the warranty should expire at least <laughs> until 100,000 miles. Yeah. <laughs> you know, and, and not just the drivetrain, but even other components. <laughs> I, think, I think that would be ideal. Again, we live in a society where there's a lot of disconnection, and that's part of the issue. So many of the old systems, I don't know if they worked but I, I would imagine they would be very different than the way that we imagine them to be. We have a romanticized version of what Jewishness was like 100 years ago. The truth is we don't really know. Uh, you know, communities were torn apart, and the regular process of family education and family tradition was destroyed too with basically the carriers of the tradition, maybe if they were lucky, entering into adolescence before their world was destroyed. So even how... Even great people today might enact Judaism, might be ultimately with the sensibilities of an adolescent. Like, what do adolescents know about marriage? They watch their parents. What do they really know about marriage? But yet many of the, the great, like, spiritual guides and teachers of our time, did they even, some of them, their adolescence was interrupted by the Holocaust. Like, I don't right. even know what that means. And what that means, how do you even quantify what we lost in terms of our traditions of how one really conducts themselves in, in family life. If you had families and communities completely destroyed. Right. I don't know. Right. So parents used to take a larger role in this type of education. Right? I would assume so. Right. But I bet, I bet like many things, different families did different things. Right. So maybe some families didn't say anything. I, I don't know. 
it's 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 one of the big questions, but I think that it's a very important issue and right. it shouldn't be outsourced to some extent. Not everything your children learn great from you. So I'm not saying there shouldn't be chassan and kala classes, but I think parents have to be involved in the sexual education of their children. Right. right. So why why are so many parents so uncomfortable with bringing up this because topic? Because we're uncomfortable with sexuality. It's a, it's it's not something we could. It has. It's only loosely related to religion. The instinct is much more powerful. The sense of shame, because anytime you have something that's so instinctively powerful, there has to be a counterbalancing force. Right? We all feel shame around our sexuality because if we didn't, it would be frightening the power of it. And the other thing is that no matter how much you try to make something, let's say, destigmatized or or, or, or or removed attention, you just transfer from one to the other. So in our contemporary culture, people, let's say secular culture, they might have no problem talking about how many times a day they masturbate, but they still might not be comfortable saying the word love. To some extent, it's a, it's, it's a shell game. There's always going to be processes that have to do with vulnerability and emotionality that need to be kept more private and that you in some way need to protect yourself from. And if you make one thing more open, you just end up, something else ends up getting closed because it's the human condition. You, you understand? Mm -hmm. Like people are not necessarily more sexually gratified or fulfilled by having more sexual expression, although the opposite, sexual oppression and suppression could be very painful and, 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 you know, and hurtful. But people, let's say, have access to sexuality or are, quote, uninhibited, they might have other inhibitions. Look at how crazy the anxiety is today. You know, I was right. doing a, one of the daffs had to do with self-harm. So I did some research also around, like, motivations for self-harm and cutting. And, I mean, the statistics are insane. 4% of adults, this seems to be one of the statistics, 4% of adults do some kind of self-harm, like cutting. 37% of college students... Whoa. reportedly are doing self-harm and cutting. Now, look, statistics are nonsense. So let's say it's 27%. Right? What is going on? Because think about it. College students are the most um, educated, disinhibited, unburdened, freest class in our entire society. Right? A, an Ivy League student who's living off their parents' money and is in one of the greatest institutions in the world and has access to the greatest libraries and every possible idea on the planet, right, isn't engaged in hopefully incredible intellectual stimulation. They're miserable, riddled with anxiety, cutting themselves. It's like they're inviting their own punishment on themselves because there's no boundaries. See, that's the challenge. Well, I'm not saying to go the other way. We should all then all wear burqas and stuff and... and, and I'm just saying this is a human condition. That's why I go back to that idea that it's a mm. dynamic. You can't win. You only <laughs> could surf. Like, you only could play with the human condition. You can't overcome right. it. Because I want to wow. dive more yeah. into the, the, the substance of what, you know, intimacy should look like. So, so some of the folks who don't have access to another Kala session or Hassan, you know, what, if you were advising them of what, if this was, they were sitting in front of you, what would, what would you tell them? you know, what intimacy looks like, what it means for a man or for a woman, and, you know, how to avoid certain things pri prior to marriage so that they don't get corrupted or, you know, 
You're asking a lot of questions in one. Yeah, that's a lot of different questions. Let's see. We We can can unpack that. (laughs) Yes. Um, I don't think intimacy is one thing. I think, I think that's that's for starters. I think that people can and should find themselves and express themselves with with their body and their hearts with somebody who they really trust. In other words, the religious, uh, you know, ideal expression of this is a monogamous married relationship because over time you build more and more trust, ideally, and you can be more vulnerable and, and show more of yourself. And different people have different ways in which they experience sensuality and sexuality and love, and they don't really think it has to be one exact thing, but they think that there are maybe operating principles, uh, which is, I think, wanting to, you know, to understand that there's an aspect of sexuality that's physical and instinctive. Animals do it too, right? And so there's a piece of that that's just, that's just what it is. And then there's something much deeper. There's emotional connection and bonding. And from the Jewish point of view, whenever the whenever the the, the, the the soul and the body are united and working well together, that's good. Right? Or Salvagic, I think, famously said that there's nothing more destructive to Ruchnius, to spirituality, than not managing Gashmias properly, and not managing physicality, right? The Jewish ideal, and really it's not only the Jewish ideal, many ancient traditions, you could look at Aristotle's Nicomachean ethics, he says the same exact thing. It's not an accident, because ultimately these things are very deeply true. Never mind the fact that there might be some universal mystical traditions of mankind, but even if it just was derived by very clever people listening to themselves. The best thing is when there's a good marriage figuratively and literally, between the body and the soul. And so there are physical aspects of sexuality and there are emotional aspects of sexuality. And when they are blended well together, you have a certain kind of harmony and a certain kind of emotional productivity, like and you f- actual physical productivity. It's what not is an accident. The, what is the emotional that you're referring to? Well, the, the, the human psyche operates according to certain principles. It's like, it, right, you need sleep six hours, eight hours a day. It makes no sense, really. I mean, you might be able to explain scientifically what's happening, but the world could have been designed differently. Maybe we only needed sleep every once a week. Supercharged with like a what Tesla right. machine. There has to be something, whatever the reason is, the point is that we work that way. Human beings do very well when they're in connected relationships, generally speaking, when they're able to be seen and understood and felt and cared for by others. And the, intensi- the intensity of, 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 of a physical touch produces all kinds of uh, you know, hormonal benefits and bonding, and it's just the way we operate. Like Again, you can't, in a certain sense, you can't overthink it. Maybe you shouldn't underthink it, but you can't overthink it because it's like trying to think of, how do I have a good sleep? Oh, for you have a good sleep by having a good sleep, no, right? No, I, How does a couple feel close to each other? Right. They care about each other. They're open with each other. They express love for each other. They give each other pleasure, right? And they have then a good relationship. Right. I, no, I, I guess it was more of the, you know, we want to educate, you know, people going into a marriage, right? On both fronts with both the, on the as you said, on the emotional level and on the physical level. Mm-hmm. So we're, what I'm, I guess we're trying to build that um foundation for them 
you know, if someone, you know, listening or someone who's interested in, you know, increasing the value of their marriage, like what steps can they actively take to increase both on the phys, you know, in the physical sense and on the emotional sense so that they get to that place of, you know, Well, uh, the, the, the fundament of any successful relationship, and the closer the relationship, the more, the more critical this is, is uh, a certain kind of respect. I don't mean respect like honor thy father and thy mother respect. I'm talking about respect, respect like covetous respect, like a real a priori, which means without qualifications, without conditions, an acceptance and understanding of the otherness of that person, of their of their legitimacy, right? Somebody gets anxious about something. Everybody thinks their spouse is crazy. That's a given. Everybody no, thinks know. their spouse is crazy. <laughs> but if you if you you know when you do that, your wife you're isn't listening. Don't worry. <laughs> you know she might think I'm nuts also. But if if when you do that, you're delegitimizing their their experience. Like it doesn't matter on one level. Right, like this person, one person gets really anxious when you're five minutes late, and another person doesn't. Is there right? Is there wrong? Does it really matter? The point is that when two people really respect each other, there's a, a willingness to accept and understand uh, uh, that that's what they are. It doesn't mean that they can't aspire to adapt or, or modify things that they feel are important to them or so the emotional level is accepting is what yes. you're saying so and then and then there's this effort that to put as much energy into really putting yourself in the shoes of the other person really being able to see the world through their eyes as much as yourself that's a very key issue uh famous psychoanalyst carl jung said that that the degree to which you'll influence others is proportionate to how much you're ready to be influenced so if you go into a conversation with your agenda, you're basically forcing it on the other person and it's a contest between two people who's going to convince the other one. If you go into the conversation with, you know, this is me and this is what I stand for and I'm also really curious to understand how you see things and how, how you understand. It's not even about right or wrong yet. It's just about how is that other person living their life? So two people relate, whether it's in the bedroom or out of the bedroom with that it's not about you being crazy or not crazy, overly anxious, pathological. It's about like, who are you? How do you live? What, what works for you? And if two people can develop that kind, of, that kind of respectful dialogue and that genuineness, you're on the road to some real intimacy. It also takes courage. It also takes self-honesty, but you're on the road. Interesting. We'll be right back to this week's episode. But first, we want to tell you about an unbelievable and incredible service that you have for free if you haven't realized yet. Relief. Relief is there. It's it's pretty simple what they do, but it's pretty tremendous what they do. They are a service that you could call, email, contact, and say, hey, I'm going through grief. Unfortunately, I lost this family member and I'm having a really hard time with it. But I don't have anyone to talk to. And I don't really know psychologists because so often people don't talk about psychologists, but I, I'm going through this trouble. Relief says, don't worry, let's talk to you. Let's figure you out. I want to, We want to know 
as much as we can about you, as much as you want to share about yourself or a family member wants to share about you if a family member's calling, and they'll go ahead and they have incredible database, we have incredible people working for them, and they say, okay, um, let's connect person A with therapist B, C, D, E, depending on where they live, what their needs are, and they're incredible. They help save so many lives and help make the challenge of going through any challenge easier. So if you're going through, and I just gave grief as, as an example, but it could be anything. It could be marital problems. It could be uh, anger issues. It could be, um, you know, I don't, I don't know. It really anything. Think of a challenge that you're going through that a therapist or psychologist or, or anyone in the mental health field could help. Relief is there and they're at the forefront. So you could contact them in a few ways. You could either go to reliefhelp.org. You could call 718-431-9501. Or you could send an email at info at reliefhelp.org. And the beautiful part about relief is they are completely free. So you do not have to pay for relief services. Uh, once you get into a psychologist and they'll be clear about you know the rates for a psychologist, that's a whole different thing. But using the service of relief is completely free, which is incredible and unbelievable. And it's one of those things that I personally believe when Mashiach comes, they'll be like, how beautiful is the Jewish nation that they have this organization out there that helps people get help. So give relief a call. They're the best. And now back to this week's episode. So putting yourself in that other person's shoes and trying to really understand where they're coming from. Constantly. Uh, constantly. constantly. In other words, if you get, you walk, come home and you're mad about something, somebody you know, left the car on the wrong side of the street and got a ticket or whatever it is. You miss heard. the lane, you know, when you park and you miss, you, know, you go in two spots. Yes, right, definitely. <laughs> Capital offense. Right. So when, when, when you're in that zone, stop and find out what's going on with everybody else. Mm-hmm. Right, and just how stop does that for tra- a How does that translate into, you know, the physical? And it's, isn't it the same thing? Two people come, they have bodies, they have hearts, they have needs. Sexuality is a very important need. Um, think about what the other person needs and wants. You definitely need to leave bandwidth for your own needs and wants too and be able to courageously speak about that and, and be open about that without judgment or self-condemnation of yourself, but neither about the other person. Mm-hmm. And how does, let's say, pornography or watching such film affect that? Well, I think that, that the, the challenge with pornography is the challenge like with many things in our culture today, which is that we have too much of a good thing. Right, sexuality. I'm not going to say sexuality is you know, bad. Yeah, pornography is a good thing. You're saying I'm not. <laughs> no, pornography is not pornography. Pornography is, is is a representation of of different people's fantasies of sexuality. Okay. Right. You can call pornography bad, just like I can say robbing a bank bad. Right. But banks are not bad. Having money is not bad. Using money is not bad. Wanting money is not bad. So where's the bad? The bad is is that you rob the bank, right? Right. But no mm-hmm. individual component of it is bad. It just is. It could either be bad or good, right? Banks could be evil tools of, you know, the capitalist machinery, or, or, or they can be wonderful places for people to keep their money secure. So what I'm trying to say is pornography is a word, right? But it's a representation of all kinds of people's sexual ideas and needs and probably, unfortunately, a lot of exploitation 
just because of the way things work. But but the 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 issue is that, like anything, whether it's sugar or it's alcohol or it's drugs, uh, humans are happiest with some amount of moderation. You cannot continuously have pleasure. You're actually miserable if you continuously have pleasure. It's the law of conservation of pleasure, right? If you eat, you reach a point where you're satisfied and you feel sick if you keep eating. Right. If you um, drink alcohol. So you're saying that if, if somebody somebody watches too much of explicit film, that they will, it'll, it'll be- It'll dull their how, how does it ability their, to- uh, Amongst many other things, but yes, because the point is it's so stimulating. It's like the junk food of, right, of, of, of life. Well, a person can have junk food once in a while. Is it going to kill them? Again, I'm not here to, to preach. I'm talking about psychologically speaking. Yeah, no, absolutely. Right. So is it going to kill them? If someone smokes one cigarette, is it going to kill them? Obviously not. But the point is that that it's still, even one cigarette is still junk, right? You're still, you're still ingesting toxins. There's something about how intensely available it is that it can disrupt the, the, the broader experience. It's the same, uh, you know, I believe that the, the religious prohibitions against masturbation or, you know, against like lustful sexual thoughts is, is, is trying to accomplish the same idea of taking the human condition where we really, really want what we want and we really have very strong drives, but we're also never going to be happy if they're fully gratified. We actually get depleted and drained and feel miserable when, when, when we're fully gratified. The sweet spot is always somehow this Stop balance it between productivity and working towards something and achieving it. And so intimacy in a marriage is very much like that too. You can't find very easily in media, whether it's you know movies or even books, representation of the kind of intimacy and the kind of emotional joining and ecstasy that's possible for a couple married 30, 40 years. You can't find it because the morons writing the scripts don't have it. Some of them are not even married five years or never were married, and, and the culture doesn't support it. But I can tell you that it exists. I can also tell you that your, 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 your cranky old cousins who, who haven't gotten along with each other since day one and are married 80 years are probably miserable too. I'm not promising you that every long lasting marriage has that, but like everything, the potential is there, but it has to be developed with a lot of risk taking and a lot of openness and, and, and personal development. Got it. So you think that the the negative of, of well, you know, not just pornography, but any type of explicit film, which is, you know, anything that's not PG or I don't know that, you know, what the ratings right. are. First of all, PG means nothing because the agendas yeah. are still the same. The same. Right. Right. So any, any film, basically. You know, uh, as we well know, with the, with the recent Disney debacle. Right, right. Even, yeah. even so, Disney. So you have you have all of this content, yes. you know, pumping into your mind. And you're saying that's, you know, overstimulating and affecting you know, intimacy because, you know, it's like too much, it's like a sugar high. Yes. And you can't connect well with the person that you're supposed to be connecting and, with. And just like sugar, we're dealing with an actual arms race, right? The companies that produce food, they are technically engineering the biggest sugar high, the biggest crunch, the biggest whatever to make you want to buy it because they're making money off of it. And then when you get sick with diabetes, the same companies own the drug companies that are going to make money. Uh, you know, curing you from your diabetes. It's like the the Pied Piper of Hamblin, you know, releases the rats and then yeah. lets, let, and then catches them for you. So it's 
so that's a big problem. And and here too, anything we're doing, this is engineered. You're using technology, which is incredibly f- efficient. And now you even have artificial intelligence, which right is working 24 hours a day, seven days a week, tweaking algorithms to to get right to the pleasure, you know, spots in the brain. And so it's it's very dangerous fire. It can be something like anything in life. It can be sexuality and and and, and sensuality is very valuable. But there has to be some moderation to to contextualize it and and really enjoy it. But how do people who are you know they're working, they have a computer, they have a phone, like what do they do? Like what if this is going to be something that's so readily available, and you're saying mm-hmm. it's literally on a bus, you know, unless someone's moving to Israel and living in certain places, they they have to encounter this. And how do they not allow that to affect their intimacy? Well, it's like everything in life. Every generation, every every group has their challenges. Pornography and sexuality is ubiquitous. Just it 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 boggles the mind. Uh, two weeks ago, because it was the summer uh, began, and so I had a couple of open spots in my schedule. So there were people on a waiting list. I took on five new couples. These five couples were represented, I would say, across the age range and across you know religious spectrums within the Jewish community. Most of my clients are, are religious. Four out of five were dealing with infidelity, and it was different genders, different ages. Just, it's, it's in the water. It's just in the water. There's something now, because of all of these messages, that make it very challenging. But here's... Wait, so that means that you don't... There is no... There, there's no, like block there's no way to stop like what is the it's human nature this is our challenge uh, a thousand years ago they were running off to worship Baal you know that's <laughs> that uh, Baal by the way was very intimately tied into sexuality but that's a whole nother yeah conversation but, but the the point is it's it's the way it goes what is that what, but what does that mean if I'm listening to this and I what is it, the way it goes seems almost like I have no defense no no I don't mean that I just mean that you have to be realistic pornography is ubiquitous it's everywhere. And like I said, there's degrees, right? The stupid ad is, you could buy just a regular newspaper and the images are practically pornographic. You go on the subway and, and, and uh, they're, they're pornographic. The, the issue is you need to do the best that you can. One of the studies in terms of, and, and when you hear about this, you realize like intuitively, it totally makes sense. One of the, the studies about addiction not to say that's a whole different conversation. Everybody that has a problem with pornography is considered an addict because it's a comfortable narrative. But that doesn't mean you are. You just might be dealing with a very strong sexual compulsion. Although there are definitely ways that people can get addicted to all kinds of things, all kinds of processes, whether it's gambling or is it even the internet DSM? or games. Isn't, is, is it's un, it's under consideration, I believe, but it doesn't matter. DSM is, 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 is a bunch of people getting together, deciding on, on, on what makes sense, on how certain things statistically cluster together. And if we agree that these things cluster together and we give it a name, it'll help us all speak the same language when we're talking to each other. It doesn't make something a disease or, or not a disease because it's been labeled. A lot of these things are challenges in life. They're not diseases in an ordinary sense. Got it. But but getting back to what I was saying, in the, in in terms of uh, recovery, the issue, and you'll realize intuitively it's true, the issue about, let's say, working with a very strong compulsion that you have, uh, whether it's drinking or it's or it's sex or it's alcohol or or, or it's drugs, whatever, is not the the 
It's not the having the lapse. It's what happens after the lapse, right? You're on a diet, and one day you have a brownie, okay? That's not going to kill your diet if you only have one brownie. Even if you have a binge day and you have an entire, you finish off an entire box of entomins, right? Yes, it's going to disrupt some kind of ketonic process. You might not lose weight that week, right? right? But you're not really, no harm done in the big picture, except psychologically, it's very hard to get back on the wagon. That's the real problem. The problem isn't the lapse. The problem is the recovery from the lapse. Interesting. This really runs counter to a lot of the that philosophy. Runs counter to a lot of like the twelve step programs. No, why? No, not why at is all. it counter? Because they, the my understanding is, is that you know the, the concept is is that I you mean want, you have to totally you abstain. You really have to abstain. You right. do. You right. do. What, but I'm talking about. There's two different things. There's there's what you how you relate to a lapse and what is aspirational. Meaning if like, you believe this is harmful, right? abstinence is the right way to go. Right. right? And if you have a, a predisposition toward being compulsively drawn into it, whether or not addiction is exactly a scientific term, it doesn't matter. There's a lot of lived experience. There are certain people, whether it's a drink or it's gambling or it's pornography, that if they start, it's very hard for them to stop. They cannot moderate. They cannot. Yeah. Not because I'm not getting into whether it's really addiction is a disease right, or not. Right, That's right. an interesting story. But yeah. functionally, their lived experience for five years, like, you know, the famous joke, I've, I, quitting smoking is easy. Right, yeah, I've yeah, done yeah, it yeah. many times. Yep. So the point is that, that that's the truth. You do have to come up with a system as best as you can to, to resist. And you really have to catch, when it comes to especially things that are as powerful as certain compulsions, you have to, what they call in the recovery community, stinking thinking, right? You have to catch your, your distortions early. Like, you're, before you take your first drink or before you click on, 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 on the that computer. website, right. you've, been, you've been cooking... You've been cooking. For a while. You're getting angry. You're getting, you're getting depressed. You're feeling frustrated. You have to catch the boulder really early up on the hill because once it starts building momentum, you might not really have control. I want to just ask you another question about um, pornography. So besides for that it's overstimulating, are there also like people are coming into marriages with like total... Um, I don't know, like expectations are really off of what they think that their sex life is supposed to look like? Well, that's a really good question. Pornography has, has definitely affected um, marriage in the, last, in the last 10, 15 years. And so uh, the bigger problem is not, let's say, quote, unrealistic expectations. I don't know what unrealistic expectations are. Two people get together with a lot of love and respect and concern for each other. And they try to make each other happy, whether that's financially or sexually, right? That's an ideal relationship. You just, as much as you can, you want to please the other person. And hopefully the other person wants to please you. And yes, there are boundaries, right? There's some things you cannot do because you're not able to do it practically or you're not comfortable with it. You don't do that. But your heart is you want to make the other person happy. The problem is the disparity. And that's the problem. So if one person was very exposed and is only stimulated by much more unconventional kinds of things, and the other person is not in that zone, it's very, very uncomfortable, and it creates tension, misunderstandings, and, and, and disruption. And it also, then you have 
like what you would call psychologically, let's say the reaction formation where people go in the opposite direction to protect themselves. So some people think that, well, you know, now all that sex and everything, that was all like the bad thing. Now, when I get married, I'm going to be pure. So on one level, it's not a bad idea, you know, try to turn over a new leaf. But like everything, if it's unrealistic and it's distorted, it, it could really morph into something ugly. First of all, somebody might even, they won't have, their judgment is so clouded, they won't even choose, let's say, a spouse on the basis if they find them attractive because in their mind, that's all part of the bad stuff. I should oh, just be interesting. Married. So you have that kind of weird dynamic. And then later on, they that's a, that's, how do you, that's one a, they could chew. Right. That's a very big challenge. But it could be more subtle. It could be just that there's an expectation that, you know, the sex just be for the mitzvah, devoid of any type of lust and, 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 and sense of sensuality and passion, which could lead to a lot of problems as well. Or there could be an overinvestment in the importance of sexuality, like your spouse is there to save you from your sexual urges. Now, look, uh, obviously, sex is a very strong instinct. And we, as we have discussed, and any of you that have you know, had a Torah education, clearly the Torah believes in moderating and allowing pleasures in some way, but through some kind of pro-social Gemara uses like paspasali as a... Right, right. All kinds of things like that, or just the fact, you know, on uh, the, the famous chinuch by v'samachta v'chagecha, once uh, every couple of months, people have to let loose and have a good time and, and drink and rejoice. It's human nature. You need to have those experiences, but they need to be modulated. You don't have it every every Saturday night, you know? You got sukkahs, you got, this is this is what the chinuch says. I'm not telling you, you know, <laughs> whether you could reconstruct that, uh, you know, as easily in our times. I'm just saying the idea is the Torah believes in experiencing pleasure and you know, in a moderated, reasonable way. So someone might come in. Of course, being married and having a sexual outlet is very important and healthy, and and you want to build your trust in your relationship that you can be that for the other person. But if you're coming in like the person's a, a, a life preserver and if you can't have sex, you're going to fall apart and you're going to masturbate or whatever it is, you're going to be depressed, that also right, becomes a problem. So a lot of it's not about the thing it's more about the negotiating of it, the the, the miscommunication, the, the lack of self honesty, the the, the the built up pressures, and and, and oh, the disparities. So, what would you suggest for a couple like like a couple who's they're just not on the same page for well, so Pete, any number do, of reasons that you're do couples explaining. talk about this prior to marriage? Am I? I, I think today right. it, it'd be it'd be advisable. Yeah. You, you 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 very carefully start circling and. And reveal something to see where the other person's holding, because I do think that people could have very dramatically different experiences. And by the way, today, women get addicted to porn too. It's a, mm -hmm. it's a real thing. So the disparity can be you know, on either side, and it, it just needs to be thought through and managed um, intelligently. It, it And the more... So you, you would say that would be part of the education in, uh, prior mm -hmm. to... Sexual history of masturbation and porn is... is I think at this point, just uh, a given that that you need to know where the person's holding because it is extremely. Available. So, how would you suggest they someone go about having that conversation with, let's say, like anything, like anything uh, that a couple that's, let's say, getting very close to being engaged, or maybe even after the engagement, are starting to to feel that they need to show more. Carefully, in a in a boundaried way, you show a little bit, and you 
test the waters and you invite the other person because everybody's got skeletons in their closet. It's just a matter of what they are. There are no skeletons. <laughs> right? You know, it, it, it might have nothing to do with sexuality, per se. Some people come into marriage, all of a sudden, woo, they got $20,000 in credit debt. They're all Surprise. kinds of <laughs> So everybody has skeletons in their closet. I'm just saying that's just part of the, the process of, of having the courage and the trust and conveying also the trust and love that you can accept the other person too. To be open about these things hmm. in, you know, in a graduated, boundaried way. You don't just say that you know, on date number four, obviously. But there are ways, like anything, difficult topics. You don't have to start broaching. Okay. Interesting. And if they wanted to turn to someone for advice or guidance, like, is there a specific type of person you would suggest they turn to? There's no quality control. There's no quality control mm -hmm. with therapists. There's no quality control with, with, with Rebbe Zermash Gichem. Um, but there are definitely good people out there. So I suppose you have to get references, trust your gut if something really feels off. You, you have to trust your gut, right? You can't trust your gut exclusively, but you can't ignore your gut. Whatever helping person you're going to, whether it's a medical doctor, or a therapist, or or it's a rabbi, or a rabbi, or a, or a rabbitson. If you're getting a bad feeling, and you're continuously getting it, you know, there's run, a there's might be a reason. Yeah, there's right. something going on there. I, I will say that there's definitely. I know that you know the, the the value of opening up, as you said before. I if I spoke with some of my friends, a lot of them would likely say that it isn't. It's not worth the risk. You know, you say something that you know, someone's struggling with any of those topics. Mm -hmm. I mean, that's like, that's really damning, you know, to in our society to like just put out there to someone you met 10 times. You know, how could that affect your, you know, your shidduch or going forward? I mean, I think that might be a, a problem, you know, not easy to open up. It is. So that's another one of the patterns in the universe that is actually, it, it doesn't matter whether it's spiritually or financially or emotionally, there's always the risk reward ratio. The more you risk, the more reward you can potentially get, but also the more the downside. And in a relationship too, when the time is and exactly when you take these risks or if you ever take them is going to be your choice. But if you create a relationship with more openness and, and, and acceptance and love and that you could show those things and talk about those things, you're stronger. A lot of sexual problems thrive like mold when they're in the dark and, and, and they're hidden. And when they come up for the light of day, they're processed very differently by, by the mind and the heart. So let's say somebody is struggling uh, with pornography or masturbation and they're married, right? And I'm not telling you, you don't just like drop that, oh, by the way, hon, I've been looking at porn since I'm 13 years old, just thought you should know that. Obviously that's not gonna work very well. You have to establish in your relationship all kinds of trust and openness and test the waters gradually in many ways and you have to walk the walk and talk the talk are you ready to accept things about your spouse that you think are, are nuts and out of control or it's only you know you want only your pornography to be accepted but other people do other things and the way god designed the world is your spouse is going to have something that drives you nuts that's completely what you didn't count on like porn i can handle but i can't handle that whatever that is right <laughs> and so but if you cultivate that environment Ultimately, can you imagine you're struggling with pornography or masturbation? You can actually have your best friend and talk about it and and 
have somebody to not to be your enabler because it's your struggle. It's not their job. Like I said, they're not there to save you from sin, but just to care about you and care about what you're going through. You see how priceless that is? But yes, it's a big risk. That's how it goes. All right. Interesting. But you, all right. You're saying to bring it up before, better to wait till after. It's less of a risk. Well, it depends how you see it. You know, you might, you, there's a lot, there's a lot to talk about, about attitudes towards sexuality and feelings about sexuality and feelings of shame and, and, you know, any type of compulsions or there's a lot of ground you can cover before you get to that one. Right. Right. But um, it is a risk. I'm not telling you what to do. I'm saying whatever you do, there's a cost benefit analysis. If you don't do it before you get engaged and then you do it when you're engaged on, on the one hand, so to speak, well, now you're already engaged. On the other hand, now the person might feel betrayed. Thank you, but I would have liked to have known that beforehand. Mm -hmm. So then now you're carrying a secret. So how long do you carry that secret? Forever? And then when you're carrying that kind of secret, doesn't that feed the problem? And now you don't have a resource, anybody you can talk to about it? To, and, and in general, just a person senses that there's some kind of distance or some kind of discomfort you have with yourself. It all becomes a barrier to intimacy. Should everybody... It's personal choice, whether you talk about it or not. Could we end off, if you had any tips for couples who are struggling in this area, so whether they're married like a few years or married, you know, 10, 20, 30 years, what's tips like... Tips they're struggling sexually or yeah, they're like, struggling I mean, I guess, in a relationship? I mean, I guess they're intertwined, sort of the yeah, same but they don't question. Have, you see, what's fascinating is sometimes it's like all boats rise with the tide, and you'll see, let's say, what's going on in the bedroom is also going on outside of the bedroom and vice versa. And sometimes it's like two different universes. It's fascinating because people really, their defenses are different. The way that they deal with their challenges are different. So you can have a couple that fights like cats and dogs and they got a great sex life. And you can have the other way around too, that they get along really well and have a horrible sex life. But statistically speaking, they do tend to be right because if you were saying the emotional and physical come together then how's that possible as an ideal but in the human condition people can bifurcate right pretty easily and like i said there are plenty of women that are capable of functioning sexually without any emotional connection and others you know that would be horrified by that but uh in terms of advice i think i said a lot about sexuality i'd like to talk about relationships i think that there's one of the key elements is this ability to constantly work and apply the same energy to understanding yourself as you are to trying understanding and seeing the other person. And like I said, convey this a priori respect and interest and the intrinsic validity of whatever it is they're going through. It doesn't mean you agree. It means you understand that that's their life and their experience. And if you want to repair a relationship, this is not my idea. I read it somewhere, but it's an important one. You don't really want to know, you, you really want to like start fixing your relationship. Take your spouse out on a date and ask him or her to tell you what it has been like to be married to you. And just take notes. Don't argue, don't defend, don't apologize. Ask questions if you don't understand something. Not like you don't understand because you want to prove them wrong, but you literally don't understand. And just listen. Find out what it's like to be married to you. It's quite a journey. Because we all think of ourselves. We can like, do this what tonight. What do we'll do right now. What do you One, do? Yeah, so, you know, you can make that into a show. Have fun, guys. But, but that, that 
right? That's a very big deal. Uh, and there's uh, something also very powerful that people neglect. One of the one of the uh, I wouldn't say the only mistake, but one of the major mistakes in in, in that separates functional marriages from dysfunctional marriages, and this is based on Gottman's research, it's the ability to take a repair attempt. Like typically speaking, you think people fight because they don't make up or they don't apologize. That's not actually what happens if you analyze interactions. The research shows that what happens is somebody invariably does try. Okay, some people apologize after five minutes and other people, you know, they might be more dysfunctional and do the silent treatment, which is not good, but ultimately people try to apologize. The problem is, usually by then, it's 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 like that archetype in Shir Shirim. One person chases and they knock on the door and then the other person's not at home, right? Oh, so now you want to apologize, right? And you don't even have to say it. Sometimes just attitudinally, right? Like you, like what gives you the right now is a very big mistake because what you're doing is, is you're taking a problem and you're letting it continue to unravel and spiral worse and worse. It doesn't mean put the problem under the rug, but it means that someone's making an attempt to connect. Let's say it's a half-hearted one. Let's say it doesn't even, you know, they're apologizing for some awful betrayal and you feel the apology is super low wattage. Instead of just saying, well, now you apologize too little too late, which is useless, you could say, look, I really do appreciate that you're apologizing. I am very hurt. I think, I think there's a lot we need to talk about. I don't know if you're ready for it now. Maybe you just want to try to reconnect a little bit, but we'll have to talk about it because that was very hard. Something like that, right? But take, don't rebuff the attempt to reconnect because once you reconnect, there's a certain magic that happens between two people. People connect. That feels good. Don't cheat yourself out of that, right? The person could have hurt you yesterday really badly and you're furious at them, but they still can have a nice time with you today. A lot of times people are married, what? 10, 15, 20, 30, 40 years, they share so much, you mean to say that they can't also enjoy time together? That's absurd. So you have to really be able to take the repair attempts, not to ignore the problems, just take the good momentum and work with it a little bit, kind of establish some stability, and then maybe later say, you know, we really need to talk about what happened because that really that really wasn't working for me, right? Mm-hmm. Thank you so much. Okay. And thank you for coming on. Thank, thank you. you. <laughs> thank you so much for watching or listening to this week's episode of That's an Issue. If you enjoyed this episode, go ahead and give us five stars on Apple or Spotify or leave a comment on YouTube or share this episode with your friends, your family. Uh, maybe this particular episode is kind of interesting to share it with your family, but share it with someone that you feel very connected to, I should say. And um, yeah, thank you so much for watching or listening we it's it's the, some of the feedback some of the emails we've gotten at hi at living lachaim hi at living lachaim.com is has been incredible it's been tremendous and it really helps us uh realize what you're looking for and and we also understand more what you appreciate some people like uh certain type of episodes and and it really helps us say okay great with that knowledge we'll now go ahead and try to find other type of people who are similar but obviously different so go ahead and send us an email hi at living the time if you have any suggestions for us or you could honestly give any suggestion on living thank you so much for watching until next time stay safe Living L'chaim.